is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. I am your host, Brett McGrath, and I am ready to share a conversation with another marketer that I think you'll learn something from. I certainly did. One of my favorite writers out there, I've been enjoying his stuff. I'm glad we finally got a chance to meet and talk about a topic that is near and dear to both of our hearts. I got my man, Ryan Law, who's the vice president of content at Animals. He writes some really good stuff. And the topic we're exploring today is overcoming the commodification of content in B2B. Such an important one. He's got a lot to say. If you like what I'm doing over here, subscribe, follow, all those things. But most importantly, tell a damn marketing friend you are enjoying Modern Day Marketer. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. Excited for this conversation today. My guest is Ryan Law, who's the VP of Content and Animals. He is someone who I've been following online, consuming his content. Um, I think it's very thoughtful. I think he is exploring topics that are adjacent to what we talk about on Modern Day Marketer. So wanted to talk with him about just overcoming the commodification of content currently in B2B. I've talked a lot about how there's a lot of the same things going on and it's just not working anymore. And I think Ryan has a really good eye and some good thoughts. So we're going to talk about that in today's episode. But without further ado, Ryan, welcome. How are you? I'm doing very well. And yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time because uh, I think you think about this challenge in much the same way I do. And there's probably more and more people are actually uh, I think we're all getting a little bit less tolerant of some of the just terrible content that is in the world. And we want to do something to make it a little bit better for everyone. I love how you just hit it right on its head from the jump. Um, so we're going to get into it, but maybe before we do, I think it's cool that you are the second uh, person we've had on the show from animals and I'm a big fan of animals. So if anyone is unfamiliar, I know a lot of people are because when I was exploring before the show, people would re- recommend animals content to me and I would read it and you were the author of most of it. So maybe you just share with anyone who is unfamiliar kind of who animals is and what you all do. Yeah, sure. Uh, so we are a content marketing agency. We spend a lot of time, and a lot of energy, and we have about 130 or so people all trying to create arguably the best content uh, on the web. And yeah, it was an eye-opener when I joined because I came very much from the old school world of SEO. And that was, you know, what I thought content marketing was. Joined Animals and realized there was a different way of doing it that I hadn't even thought about. Uh, Content could be interesting. So yeah, I'm not quite as uh, charming or gregarious as Devin, but I will do my best to uh, live up to her high standard as well. I I can't believe the size, Uh, 130 people all working in content and some of the, you all are supporting some of the biggest brands kind of in the world. So I would imagine just like working with clients and thinking through the problems that they're going through um, is, I guess, before we jump into the topic, is there anything like interesting, like what's the most interesting thing that you are all seeing across the board, just in content marketing that big brands are trying to figure out right now? I think one of the perennial challenges that uh, big companies face is it's very easy to think of content as a marketing tool, and that is the lens through which you approach it and you use it to generate traffic. But content is this thing that all departments in a company need in some capacity. And actually, a lot of what we've been trying to help companies do is work out how can we furnish all these other departments and all these strange campaigns, like even like sales teams and knowledge bases for product teams, that is all content. So where can we fit into that and how can we unify the like voice and content and feel of everything we're doing. And uh, 
Yeah, that's a set of problems I didn't even know existed when I was working with much smaller businesses. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I've been a part of early on some of those types of conversations on just consistency across function and more or less how content can be a focus. And I know that is not something that you can flip on overnight. And I'm sure it's important to have businesses like animals out there who are thinking through this every day and making it happen. So let's, let's jump in a a commodity content. There's some, some great content marketers on social media using this phrase. It struck me immediately when I saw it. So maybe if someone is unfamiliar with it first, like what, what to you, what is commodity content? And then like, how did we get here to be talking about commodity content? So uh, the experience that I think people will probably have had that illustrates this really well, uh, maybe you find a competitive search result and you look at all the top ranking content. uh, And the first thing you recognize is it all looks very, very similar to each other. Uh, Same like title formulations. You click in same structure in lots of cases, same information or just slight remixes of each other. It's like looking at I don't know, a city of skyscrapers, you know, the whole Brian Dean, Backlinko classic thing where the way you make better content is to make it longer and more comprehensive than anything else that has come before. And you end up looking at search results that are just full of that stuff. You can't tell a difference between them. They read like very utilitarian Wikipedia pages. It's quite like a jarring experience to read through it because loads of search optimized headers and all sorts and no narrative, none of the interesting parts of the topic crop up. And I think it's really tempting to want to lay the blame for this at the feet of individuals, but I think it's more an issue of uh, incentives created by the systems that we will have to operate in as content marketers. So one part of this is Google, obviously. The thing that type of content did really, really well was solve a really hard problem in search, which was aggregation. Because you'd search for a, a query, a topic, and you'd have a hard time getting all the information, all the answers you needed, because they were probably spread across maybe like a dozen different websites. So what these skyscraper articles did was consolidate that into one place. That's good for the reader. That was good for Google because people spent more time on those pages. So they incentivized the creation of more and more of that content. And it worked. You know, you can get huge amounts of traffic from that. But the problem happens then when other people see those results And they say, right, so the way I have to compete with that is by doing the same. I will follow suit. I will make it longer and more comprehensive. And that becomes the only dimension of differentiation is this longer. Uh, And that's how you end up in this place where, yeah, all the content looks the same. And I guess one other facet of this is the SEO tools we all use every day as well. When you use keywords as your starting point for content marketing, you probably go to one of, I don't know, two, three SEO tools to get your data We are all staring at the same keywords, the same data sources, and the same recommendations from those tools every day. So unless you have a bit of executive function and creativity overriding that, your content's going to look the same as everything else because we're all using the same data. No doubt about it. So I've been thinking a lot about this issue ever since it was presented to me. And and then I saw like when Scott Brinker put out his 2022 like MarTech uh, landscape infographic, there was nearly 10,000 MarTech companies. And I, they're all tiny little dots that you can't even see the logo. And I was, I was thinking about this and I was like, each of these dots has a content team in all likelihood, and they're all producing content regularly. And more or less, they're all playing this game, right? They're all 
pushing out the same type of content and they're all trying to compete in the same game. And it's impossible from a consumer perspective to see the right content and get introduced to helpful pieces when everyone's kind of jamming the same type of content for the algorithm. So like, that's been something that has struck me just in thinking about this, I guess, like inherently, like we get into this rhythm as marketers and everyone just kind of does the same thing over and over and over. But like, I don't know, it seems like there are outliers of people focusing on distribution and other things, but I don't, is it, do you know, is it just a, a, a nature of those incentives that you referenced of why people are just continuing to do the same thing over and over? Or is it something different? It probably, I think, boils down to just SEO. Like content marketing is in most cases SEO because it is very hard to beat any kind of content that offers repeatable, predictable, compounding traffic. Think about like, you know, thought leadership piece, for example. If you do really, really well with that, you probably get a big traffic spike and then that will die off. And that's maybe it, unless you can re-promote it, get a bit more excitement there. SEO generally, you spend a fixed amount on it to begin with, and you get more and more traffic with each month, maybe more business from it. So it becomes better value in every single time. So basically everyone is prioritizing SEO. And that means this problem, I think, is a natural emergence of that. When the only thing we care about is search traffic, all the content we're going to create is going to be skyscrapers. But I think the maybe short-sighted thing about that that I've personally experienced is that even if you do get a lot of traffic from those kind of posts, uh, which is no guarantee today because the more people do this, the more marginal the results you do generally get from SEO, uh, the type of traffic is not always the type of people that will buy from you. Search queries bias towards people that are looking for quite simple things most of the time. I don't know how many like uh, CEOs and executives and VPs of marketing Google like the 10 best content marketing tools. And because that information is quite utilitarian, you don't get a sense for who the company is that's sharing it, what they do, their raison d'etre. There's very little in there to make you trust them and actually want to do business with them. So even if it does loads of traffic, it might not do much for your bottom line and revenue in lots of cases. So when, when I think maybe the counter of this is like trying to stand out and, and be different. And I just example from before we even met, I had an idea of who you were as a content marketer and the philosophy that you represented because I consumed your pieces of content. And I could tell by the way you wrote that you were a real person with a real thought process around how you thought and felt. And so me understanding you as a person through your content reflects positively on the animal's brand because I'm like, okay, this guy's relatable. Um, He's teaching me something in his content. And that makes me, that makes like my affinity for the animal's brand, like increase. So to me, like, and that's something I can relate with, with just like the way I write and talk and just try to humanize my work. So like playing different, to me, the opportunity to stand out maybe is to create content like you're creating content in animals, um, but maybe just like talk a little bit about that because I know it can be a challenge when SEO is like that main driver and we need to get more results. We need to do these things. But I think the opportunity when we're writing and maybe doing things a little different, more personalized, there's a, there's a opportunity to kind of reach maybe less, but more of the right type of people. Yeah, I love that. I think it's, it's probably good to think about this from like a kind of macro view in the sense that 
even animals, you know, with the way we think about content, we still do a lot of very straightforward, utilitarian, long form SEO content for some customers, because that is simply all that is needed. There are some industries that are very nascent. They don't have much in the way of like established SEO practices. And you can do that kind of content and it still works the same way it used to work 10 years ago for someone in like our industry, for example. So in some cases that is totally well and good. But what we're seeing more and more is that as more companies take on content marketing, as it you know is adopted by more companies, the marginal results of that are becoming more and more marginal. So there's more incentive to start doing exactly as you say and experimenting with these new types of content. There's uh, someone we work with, a customer that is a great example of how to do this, I think. Uh, so Joey Chan at 360 Learning. Uh, and they're a company that they're an ed tech company that is now very well regarded for having loads of really creative types of content marketing. They have a, a docu-series where they actually, they filmed the process of hiring and onboarding Joey herself and used that as content marketing. They've got a podcast, they do loads of research reports. Uh, and the way in which she got, you know, the trust from her CEO and the uh, money to do that was, she basically said she sorted out her pipeline metrics first. That was the thing she did. It was like the first thing when she joined the company. So if you can prove that you can do a good job with SEO and you can get some level of traffic, some level of revenue coming in from the foundational stuff, I think you can then parlay that success into slightly riskier uh, experiments, new content formats, and that kind of thing. Because animals, we were very lucky in the sense that we got almost all of our first few customers from word of mouth. And we actually existed as a company for a long time without any marketing. So there was very little risk for us. We already had a pipeline, so we could do this riskier content. But a lot of companies, if they don't have that, I think you need to get that foundation started, generate some revenue from the utilitarian bulk standard content, and then use that trust to work up to stuff that's a little bit more interesting. I love that. And I think uh, any smart marketing leader that I've talked to who's maybe walking into a new situation and wants to try new things knows first and foremost, like, how can we, how can I attach the work that I'm doing to revenue and make sure that while I'm trying all these new things that no one understands and no one gets, and actually people are questioning, like, I can still attach myself to a number and show that like I'm producing um, and, and helping drive pipeline. So I think like having that mindset where you're not walking in and blowing everything up right out of the gates is probably a, a healthy one. I guess there are so many marketers I think that are out there sitting in kind of their seats right now and they know that they have the probably the bird's eye view on the metrics and they know they're stagnant. They're no, they know their status quo but maybe their boss or their boss's boss have always done things this way and been heavily focused on SEO. So I guess like maybe for anyone out there who's trying to push and try to be more personalized and try to create more long form, less SEO focused content, like, do you have any kind of thoughts just regarding like how to organize internally around that? Like, how do you sell that? How do you um, have those conversations? Anything tactically from your experience would, would be awesome to hear from. I think maybe one thing that is very useful is to identify some kind of intermediary state between like cold, hard SEO content and completely wild thought leadership. I think you can bridge that gap gradually. Uh, and one of the things we sometimes do with customers is I'm kind of not a fan of this term, but like SEO, like search optimized thought leadership content. So I think there is this intermediary state where you can 
target keywords and you can do it in a way that is interesting and different and brings in you know original data and perspective and personal experience and what we're seeing in some cases is not only is that a great way of having search content that actually means something and actually reflects who your company is and actually you know people find engaging but in very competitive search results this is actually being rewarded this is i think is an increasingly viable mechanism for outranking a lot of these other skyscraper articles as well. So I wrote an article recently about this idea of information gain, which is this slightly like a couple of years old Google pattern, but it shows that they're thinking about this problem in the same way that we are. They're basically saying they know that you can look at a search result and every article will have the same information. So they're actually using processes to reward articles that contain something different, which I think is really, really interesting because the mental model we have is how do we be better than the existing search results when actually maybe that's not the point anymore. It's more, how can we be different from it? We can view ourselves as part of like a collaborative ecosystem of content and we can build on the stuff that already exists and explore little interesting uh, nuanced facets of the topic that nobody else has done and still get rewarded for it. So yeah, through that sense, you can still rank, I think, and maybe unlock some rankings that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do uh, without having to go like full thought leader or create like crazy documentaries and that kind of thing straight from the get-go. I love that. Maybe like just on the results front tracking. So, you know, if, if you are experimenting with content and you're, you know, maybe trying to create more long form, less SEO focused, more brand oriented content. And, you know, so you're so used to tracking kind of like quantitative metrics on like views, visits, you know, time on page, those sorts of things. I I say like a measure of success would be if my article was mentioned on another brand's podcast and they were talking about it. To me, that would be greater than any probably SEO type of uh, quantitative metrics that, you know, you could track. However, like that stuff is really like hard to measure and I think like with the brand oriented focus content, it, it takes time and consistency, but I guess, is there any way that you have found effective to like measure or track the results of some of the work that you're doing that maybe doesn't quite fit inside that standard status quo SEO? Let me look at the spreadsheet. Let me measure how many views and visits, like anything there just in terms of impact that you've been able to communicate maybe internally or externally regarding what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So when I took over marketing for animals, the first thing I did was go look at all of our analytics and I was kind of uh, shocked at how bad they looked, at least from like my frame of reference of you know trying to pump out as much organic search content. And the thing that uh, Jimmy Daly, who was you know, my predecessor there, explained to me was that he doesn't care about traffic. That's not the point. The thing that matters to him, the way he measures success are uh, sales conversations. How many times is our content referenced in conversations he's actually having with people? How much does our terminology, the concepts we coin and create, how often does that get referenced by prospects, even by competitors in some cases? We've seen other agencies like take terms that we've come up with and build them into their own marketing and it becomes part of the discourse. This type of content as well, it's also really, really good for link building. So if you do want something that's a little bit more quantitative and a bit closer to the um, like old world of metrics, you can get a bunch of links with this kind of content because it's quite often... Uh, a bit more contrarian, a bit more conversational, a bit more interesting. And that you know, is kind of the 
rising tide that lifts all ships in the sense that if you get some great links from some really opinionated content that can make the rest of the site all of your money pages perform much better as well so shout out jimmy uh former guest of the show uh love what he's doing at superpath I think like that mindset answers a question that like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you've been in, in, involved in this scenario, but like, you know, you're in this meeting and people are doubting what you're doing in marketing and content comes up and, you know, some executive sends an email or says like, what, what's the ROI of like our content program? And it's like, how do I answer this question? And I think like from what you just described and then that Jimmy scenario, it's like, well, it's a lot easier to tell you what the ROI of, the content program is, is when you attach it directly to sales and sales pipeline and numbers. So I find that interesting. I don't know, like we think about content from a marketing perspective, we get our numbers, we hope it drives people to the website. We hope people then want to talk to sales, but like, have you, like, have you found any ways that you can use your content and the things that you're doing with your content to better align with uh, sales pros, like just in your history, inside animals or not, I think anything there um, would be helpful to learn from you. Well, another thing that I learned from Jimmy, actually, because uh, when he was at Animals, he was our head of marketing and he was our head of sales. And he probably talked to you about this. And that was amazing because there was this direct feedback loop between the content he was sharing and the sales conversations he was having. Um, because actually sales is probably the most fruitful source of ideas for almost any company in terms of things to write about. Uh, if you don't know what to write about, go and talk to your sales team and ask them, what are the 10 questions you get asked the most? What are the five reasons that people most commonly stop working with this? And you can document that. You can put that on the blog. And not only will that in some cases generate new business, maybe people will search for those or they get shared that resource by a peer, but it also expedites the actual sales process, makes it much easier to close. And yeah, I think one consequence we found is that this kind of part of the sales process that lots of companies had where there's this like handover from marketing to sales and or maybe they're not qualified and we need to explain to them what we do. We, we've never had that because people are always bought into what we do. They always know us. We can focus straight on the like, how do we solve your problem part of the equation, which is, uh, yeah, pretty cool. So just don't don't have a gap between sales and marketing wherever you can. Talk to salespeople all the live long day if that's possible. You got to force it if you're not doing it already. Maybe like just to make things clear before, before we depart here, going back to like the commodity content, my measurement when I'm trying to think of like com- commodity content and things that I've written or produced in the past, it's like after you get done through the editing stage and everything else, it's like, when you are on the other side, reading it one last time, right before you hit publish, like, is it something that you as the author enjoys? Like, did you enjoy, did that satisfy you putting that out there? And chances are, if it's bland to you and boring to you, it surely is going to be to anyone who stumbles across it. So do you, do you have anything like that or ways to like, for anyone out there to think about like, if they're uncertain, if they're creating, they're falling into this trap of creating commodity content regularly? I think this is probably a problem, again, of like keywords in the sense that when you go to write an article based on a keyword, you are almost delegating responsibility from the part of your brain that wants to read something and ask, is this interesting? To the part of your brain that goes, is this search optimized? Is this going to match whatever I perceive the intent to be? And that's useful, but it's not the same as like, somebody reading it, somebody thinking this is really, really cool. So I think if you can't do that, if you can't read it and gauge whether it's interesting to somebody else, it's always a good idea 
to get someone else to read it for you, uh, devoid of the you know baggage of finding it through search. Find somebody that is maybe a part of your target audience, a peer, anyone like that, get them to read it and get them to tell you what they thought of it. Pointing out holes in your argument, examples that weren't particularly compelling, things they've heard before, or tired truisms, all that kind of thing. And I think one of the, the benefits of doing that as well is when you are actually proud of the thing you write, I've always found it's much easier to have a sincere and good job at promoting that article. Because I think if you try and promote every article equally, you feel a bit bad. You feel like you're spamming people. You know somewhere in your heart of heart that actually you don't want to be sharing this. Maybe you don't want to like DM 50 people about this bit of content because you're not actually that proud. But if you've gone through that process and taken that extra labor, you can you feel good about it and you will get better results and you'll be more inclined to actually reach out to people and see if they enjoy it as well. I love that advice. Maybe in closing, we share, there's a lot of information, a lot of things, a lot of steps. What is like the one piece of advice that you would give to any marketer that's kind of listening to this show that's trying to figure out how we, we are fortunate at the juice at animals, like our cult, co- content culture is organized around like experimentation, you know, being personalized. And so I think Ryan, we both are beneficiaries of that where we can try new things. Maybe at other businesses, it's a little more rigid. So what, what type of advice do you have for anyone who's heard this conversation and they're kind of, they're interested in pushing their brand forward through their content? And it may be a really useful thing to do in a way to approach this with the rest of your team is basically to have a conversation about whatever topics we're talking about, whatever keywords we want to target, what is the additional information or context or experience that only we as a company, as the people that all work together, only we can add to this topic? Because there is always something. doesn't matter what you're writing about. If you've got a few people in your company with all these lived experiences, all these hard problems they've solved, there's generally something they will be able to add on top of this that is useful and interesting and other people haven't covered. I think that's a really great, small and acceptable way of getting people to gradually buy into the idea of, you know, like thought leadership is good and we shouldn't always base everything on search volume while doing it in a constrained and like accessible way for people. Awesome. If anyone wants to learn more about you, what you're up to, what Animals is up to, what's the best place to reach you? Uh, Well, unsurprisingly, I spend all of my time writing on the Animals blog uh, and we send out a newsletter once a week. So that's probably the best place. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter a lot. Um, thinking underscore slow is where I, again, spend too much time sharing things. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? We'll put that in the show notes. Ryan, this was awesome. Thanks so much for being on and we'll have to get you back on sometime soon. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Brad. A blast chatting with you. Ryan is packed full of knowledge and insight. Really enjoyed getting into the weeds on how to make your stuff stand out and separate from the pack. Go follow his work. Go follow the animal's blog. It's really good. I always enjoy what I am hearing from him and their team. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back. More Modern Day Marketer next week.